Welcome to the Global Futures Podcast with me, Joel Sandu. Cyril Ramaphosa took over as South Africa's president when Jacob Zuma resigned in February 2018 after years of corruption scandals and what many consider economic mismanagement. Ramaphosa's victory as South Africa's new president sparked optimism in a country that was tied down by corruption scandals, recession, rising fuel prices, and high levels of unemployment. But the party of Ramaphosa, the African National Congress, or ANC, is still struggling to hold on to power ahead of the upcoming elections in May 2019. To talk to us today and reflect on one year of the Ramaphosa presidency is Cyril Prinsloo, a Global Governance Futures 2030 fellow and a researcher in the Economic Diplomacy Program at the South African Institute of International Affairs. Here he is sharing his thoughts on the achievements and shortcomings of the Ramaphosa presidency and what his hopes are for his country, South Africa. All right. Well, thank you very much, first of all, Cyril, for joining us uh, on the Global Futures podcast in sunny Sao Paulo. It's great to have you here, man. Thank you for having me, Joel. So let's get into it. It's um, almost been a year into uh, President uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's presidency. And I recall a year ago, there was, you know, real optimism and people were very happy um, that he's uh, elected. And uh, there was a real honeymoon period at that time. But now it seems like the honeymoon period is dwindling down. What's what's your take on his presidency so far? Uh, absolutely, Joel. I think there was this initial euphoria around him being elected as South Africa's president. Uh, you know, everybody referred to the, the new dawn for South Africa, you know, a period of, of excitement, reinvigoration. And, and you're rightly pointing out that, you know, that, that very soon faded, I think, as people realize the, the magnitude of the challenges that's, that's facing him uh, in South Africa at, at the moment, uh, some of that, that initial euphoria has, has dwindled a little bit. I mean, we talk about, you know, long-standing deep structural issues in the economy. We're talking about, um, you know, kind of economic erosion of, of economic institutions, governance institutions in South Africa under the Zuma presidency. And uh, over the past year, you know, we've seen some some movement on on some of those key issues, some positive developments. But uh, you know, the the realization that that there's still so much to be done, uh, I think that has really dawned on on many South Africans. So you mentioned the economy, and you mentioned euphoria, but also challenges. Economic reform has been a huge topic in South Africa over the past years, and a lot of people considered the previous administration, Jacob Zuma's uh, administration, to have mismanaged the economy. Um, What uh, has been done to deal with these deeper structural problems, as you just mentioned earlier? Um, I think we have to to keep in mind that you know there's there's both short term short term challenges, socioeconomic economic challenges, and then also as you point out, kind of the deeper structural issues. Uh, I think what we've seen over the past year is you know kind of uh, Ramaphosa and and his cabinet trying to address some of those short term uh, governance related challenges. Uh, I think under the, the the Zuma administration, we saw a lot of erosion of uh, institutions, governance structures, and I think Ramaphosa has thus far done a, a good job in reversing some of those um, kind of governance challenges uh, by appointing new ministers in especially the economic cluster, 
um, by addressing governance uh, structures in South Africa's state-owned enterprises. These have been positive developments. I think what what we increasingly realize is that you know over the last decade or so of um, of these erosion of institutions, it's often that you know the governance challenges runs much deeper than just the heads or the boards of these institutions uh governance challenges actually run through the institutions and those are the kind of things that that will take a lot longer to to resolve whether it's it's contracts that's not been in the best interest of of some of our state-owned enterprises um so those are some of the the longer term challenges and then of course you know we're talking about the very long-term very structural kind of socio-economic and economic challenges you know when we talk socio-economic challenges we talk about unemployment we talk about inequality um, you know South Africa is currently sitting at 27 odd percent unemployment uh, a, a big chunk of that which is is youth youth unemployment right um, so these are, are much longer term structural issues. Uh, also, South Africa trying to move the, the economy away from kind of commodity dependent uh, exports to more manufacturing, more service oriented, higher value added uh, structure in the, in, in the economy. Uh, again, this is a, a much longer term challenge uh, facing, facing Ramaphosa and, and the African National Congress, the ANC, the, which is the, the governing party. You mentioned state-owned enterprises, and this is a massive issue uh, in your country. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about what the state-owned enterprises mean for South African governance, for the government, because they have embraced SOEs um, big time, and they represent a very important character of the way South Africa is governed and what is emphasized? Uh, absolutely. I think like like most other countries, um, South Africa have these uh, state-owned enterprises, uh, which are considered um, strategic assets to, to the economy. Uh, so, for example, in South Africa, we have ESCOM, which is our, our national energy utility, one of the major ones. We have South African Airways, uh, our national airline. Uh, we have PRASA, which is our, our national rail utility. Um, and, and these institutions over the last uh, 10, 20 years, of course, on the one hand, key national strategic interests. Uh, but on the other hand, they've also become a major risk to the South African economy. What we've seen is firstly massive bloating of employment within within these state-owned enterprises. Uh, we also saw a lot of corruption in these, these enterprises. Uh, and as a, a result, they've racked up massive amounts of debt. Uh, which which a lot of it is backed by by government guarantees uh, and essentially that poses a major risk for uh, the fiscus in in South Africa and I, and I think that's one of one of the country's biggest challenges going forward uh, the the massive risk these institutions places on on our fiscus what's the conversation about privatizing the SOEs I mean if there's such a risk and you you mentioned, um, you know, there's bloating of employment. There's also been uh, inflation um, and also the increase in fuel 
uh, prices, which caused riots on the streets in parts of South Africa just a few months ago. What, what's the discussion, the discourse on privatizing the SOEs? I mean, I, I think that's that's one of one of the, the the challenges. And and to give you a good example, you know, ESCOM, which is probably the the biggest SOE in in South Africa. You know, we looked at even 20 years ago. You know, there were there were big conversations around. You know, firstly splitting kind of different functions of of uh, ESCOM to make it more efficient generation distribution. Um, transmission functions to make it more efficient. Uh, so even 20 years ago, uh, you know, a, a lot of people have advised policymakers in South Africa that these are some of the steps we need to take, right? On the other hand, you know, it's also been, uh, firstly, as we said, it's it's a it's a key strategic asset for for the government. Um, employment, especially on the one hand, considering you know massive unemployment in in South Africa, it's been a key key employment driver in in South Africa. Uh, so for for many policymakers, there's there's this cost and benefit of having these these SOEs. You, you mentioned key strategic assets. Uh, one could say, yeah, it's key strategic assets, but for who? You know, some people are certainly benefiting from this uh, SOE system while others are losing out. And the reason why I raise this is because I recall one of the key campaign promises that Ramaphosa uh, put forward was, you know, anti-corruption. He's going to fight corruption uh, and get rid of it. Yet his cabinet still includes officials um, who stand accused of corruption. So my question for you is, do you think breaking the cycle of graft and patronage uh, in South African government requires the end of the dominance of the ANC? I think what, what we have to remember about about Cyril Ramaphosa's current position within within the ANC, Cyril Ramaphosa got elected uh, with a, a very small margin over his opposition, who was Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, uh, literally 1% more. Who was the wife of Jacob Zuma. Exactly, who was a, a former former wife of uh, President, former President Zuma. Um, so she was competing, and and we saw within within the governing party, within the ANC, uh, there's this massive division. Uh, I think obviously he he subsequently won that that uh, he won the presidency within the governing party. Um, but again, keeping in mind with a, a very small margin, which tells us that. You know, the, the party is still extremely fractured. Uh, of course, you know, one of his key promises was to root out corruption. But keeping in mind these massive divisions in, in the party, you know, it was a key objective for him also to keep unity within the party. So uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't have the political capital yet uh, to make significant moves to address some of these unwanted or... Uh, some of some of the people who he didn't agree with. Um, so I, I think that is one of his key challenges: is is keeping unity within the party, but also making the the right decisions for for the country. Again, you know, already we saw some of some key changes, ministerial changes within his uh, cabinet. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's also still people within his cabinet that that we know, um, you know, are, are significant supporters of of his opposition faction within within the party. I think going forward, as we see uh, that he 
um, you know, kind of increases his political capital within the party, uh, we'll see him also, you know, kind of moving around some of those elements or some of those people uh, that he doesn't necessarily agree with. Talk to our listeners a little bit about the ANC manifesto that was published uh, a few weeks ago in Durban. Uh, where, how is the ANC positioning itself and what do you think will be the main points of contention, the challenges for the party with the upcoming elections in May 2019? Joel, I, I think, you know, looking at, at the, the ANC's election manifesto, which was launched uh, about a week ago, we don't see any anything radically different from from previous years. I think, um, you know, it certainly touches on on key issues in South Africa, which we've also touched on. We talk about, uh, you know, addressing unemployment. We talk about addressing inequality through land redistribution. You know, we also, I think, one of the the, the positive signs signs from the the Ramaphosa administration is kind of a, a reinvigoration and a re-emphasis on attracting investment, creating an enabling environment for investors to come to South Africa, uh, addressing the, the unemployment issue um, in, in that manner by bringing in investors. So that's also been, been a key. And of course, that's been ANC policy for, for the last two odd decades, uh, but certainly under Ramaphosa and again in, in the ANC election manifesto launched uh, a week ago, we saw a, a re-emphasis on, on that element of, of our economic policy. I think what, what we have to keep in mind is that in, in South Africa, uh, usually around beginning of, of February, we have our, our national budget speech uh, where, where the government's priorities are, are better laid out. And, you know, as we always say, you, you follow the money. That that gives us a very good good sense of where government policy is going to go. Traditionally, we've seen education, healthcare, social expenditure, key elements of, of the budget. Uh, and I think in, in a couple of weeks, when, when our new finance minister, Tito Mbueni, delivers the budget, uh, the budget speech, um, you know, any significant movements, uh, any significant deviations from, from previous years uh, will give us a clear indication of, of the right direction that that government will be heading over the next couple of years. So if you were to predict, uh, just based on, you know, uh, what you've worked on so far, also uh, some gut instinct, uh, where the money may be shifting uh, after the budget uh, talk is delivered, what do you think the government would be emphasizing? I think one of one of the key issues that that will come up is you know how to reinvigorate the economy. Obviously, you know we said uh, historically education has been important, healthcare has been important, social um, kind of social protection system. I think again those issues will feature highly. I think perhaps one one new thing that will be introduced is more expenditure on on infrastructure, spe specifically social infrastructure. Of course. Um, historically also a key issue on, on the budget, um, but this year especially so as, as the government tries to reignite the economy, as they try to reinvigorate the economy, trying to create stimulus to, to reignite that growth, I think one, one of the key elements uh, will be to, to increase investment in, in infrastructure. You mentioned earlier that there's a 27% unemployment in South Africa, which is staggering. Based on the reading that I've done a while ago, it's uh, youth unemployment is a massive issue as well. Uh, what's the government doing to, to deal with that? 
Joel, you're you're absolutely right. And you know, for me, one of the areas where where you see it most, uh, you know, the the financial capital of of South Africa and arguably uh, the continent is is the downtown area called called Santon, referred to as as the richest quarter mile in 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 Africa. And literally just down the road from from uh, Santon, we have this township called Alexandria. And you know, driving through the streets of of Alexandria, that's genuinely where where one sees what what youth unemployment is. Just scores of young women, young men, uh, you know, congregating along the streets. Just you know, that's that's genuinely where one sees what what youth unemployment is. I think the again under Cyril Ramaphosa, you know, there's been a whole host of of initiatives. Um, firstly, to uh, promote education for for young people, uh, specifically tertiary education. Uh, there's also been a whole lot of uh, campaigns and drives to increase internships, to increase uh, entry level jobs for for young people. Uh, you know, close collaboration between private sector and government to create these opportunities for for uh, for young people. Uh, and then increasingly, we also see, you know, Cyril Ramaphosa talking about fourth industrial revolution. How do we gear young people to participate in these massive socio-political economic changes that that the 4IR will bring about? You know, of course, Ramaphosa he uh, he co-chairs the the ILO, the International Labour Organization's Future of Work uh, Committee. Uh, so certainly, this is also a key issue for him, and and making sure that South Africa is is getting ready for for this transition uh, is is certainly a key issue for him. A lot of South Africa's domestic economic strategy relies on foreign engagement. Uh, you mentioned markets earlier, uh, foreign direct investment, uh, also reaching out to other parts of the continent. There's also been interesting dynamics in the shift of how South Africa has moved in its relations with other countries from the former President Zuma's uh, presidency to now uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's presidency. And here I'm thinking about South Africa's engagement with uh, the BRICS constellation and also the EU. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this shift? Uh, absolutely. I think, you know, certainly over the last couple of years, specifically over the last year, two years, you know, we've seen, you know, almost a, a recalibration of South Africa's engagement with with the BRICS, of course, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, the grouping. Um, so South Africa's engagement with with the BRICS and and some of our, our other trading partners, economic partners uh, in, in Europe, in, in North America. I think it would be a bit simplistic to ascribe this this shift in, in South Africa's engagement uh, solely on on the changing of presidency between Zuma and and Ramaphosa. Of course, you know one of one of the key elements of of Zuma's foreign policy was the engagement with the BRICS. Was South Africa's South Africa's introduction in, into the BRICS. But I think we have to remember that at at that time, you know, this was around 2009. It was at the height of the global financial crisis. Um, you know, a lot of our, our traditional partners in Europe, in, in North America, they were really struggling to, to, to get out of the, the global financial crisis. They were really struggling to grow. And, and at that time, you know, the, the BRICS, specifically China, India, 
rapidly growing economies, much more so than some of our traditional partners. So it made complete sense for, for South Africa to diversify its markets, to engage these countries. I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is you know, post-global financial crisis, post-euro crisis, much more recovery from, from some of our traditional partners. And I think, again, hence that, that re-engagement with, with some, of, some of these partners. And, and, you know, I use the word re-engagement, which is perhaps not, not completely accurate. Uh, you know, again, even during this period from 2009 to, let's say, 2017, uh, you know, South Africa still very much values our, our economic, our political relationship uh, with, for example, the European Union. And we see that with negotiating the, the economic partnership agreement with, with the European Union, right? Uh, so certainly there's always been a, an engagement with, with all our partners. But I, I do think, you know, there's been some recalibration over the last couple of months, uh, maybe 12 to 18 months. South Africa is part of the BRICS countries, the BRICS groupings, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and of course, South Africa, uh, which is an important grouping for, for South Africa. And yet you also mentioned earlier that uh, the economic and trade relationship between South Africa and the European Union is very important. How is South Africa balancing itself between the two? Uh, absolutely. You know, we, we spoke about the, the growing importance of, of the BRICS countries in terms of um, an economic partner for, for South Africa. We also spoke a little bit about the challenges in, in that economic relationship in terms of the inequitable structure of, of trade between South Africa and, and some of our BRICS partners. Uh, I think what, what we also have to remember is that um, certainly the BRICS has also given given South Africa partners to coalesce around some of their other foreign policy priorities, right? And here we're, we're thinking, especially in terms of, you know, creating a more equitable global governance structure. You know, we're talking about historically, you know, in, in global governance institutions such as the World Bank, such as the IMF, you know, voting power has been very much skewed in favor of, of European and North American countries. Uh, and, and this has always been a, a key issue for, for South Africa, you know, to, to try and address some of these these inequalities in, in the, the power structures of, of these institutions. Uh, and certainly, you know, in, in challenging the, the dominance of, of these countries in these institutions, South Africa has, has found um, a lot of support for, for this position within, within the BRICS. The elections are coming up soon in May 2019. What do you see as some of the major challenges for the South African government and what are your hopes for your government? I think one one of the key things we'll we'll see in this this upcoming election, you know, of course, uh, the the ANC they've been the governing party since South Africa's transition to from from apartheid. I think you know, increasingly over the last two and a half decades, we've been s seeing. Uh, their dominant position in, in South Africa declining slowly but surely. I think, again, this year, you know, we, we saw two years ago in, in local elections, um, you know, the ANC, you know, uh, losing support, especially in, in key cities, in the city of Johannesburg, in the city of, of Pretoria. Uh, and, and now at a, a national level, you know, again, I expect them to, to lose some support. I think there's, there's other parties that, uh, that, that will increase 
um, their foothold in, in South African elections, specifically the, the Economic uh, Freedom Fighters, the EFF, um, who's been receiving a lot of support. You know, earlier we, we spoke a lot about, you know, South Africa's growing youth population, some of the challenges they experience, uh, and the EFF have been gathering a lot of support um, from especially, you know, South Africa's youthful population. They've been pushing issues such as, as free education. They've been pushing issues such as, uh, you know, more drastic approach to, to land redistribution. Uh, some of these issues that the EFF has been pushing that subsequently the, the ANC took up. Um, so certainly uh, I expect to see in, in the upcoming election, you know, uh, the EFF growing its its support in, in South Africa. And, and in a sense, that's also healthy for, for the democracy. Uh, you know, a, a bit of a more challenge to, to the dominance of, of the ANC uh, and, and the official opposition party, the Democratic Alliance. Uh, seeing more democratic competition uh, I, I think will be encouraging for, for South Africa's uh, democratic process going forward. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there, Cyril, but thank you so much for joining us on Global Futures Podcast. Thank you, Joel. This episode of the Global Futures Podcast was presented by me, Joel Sandu, and produced by Sonia Sugarbova from the Global Public Policy Institute. Our guest today was Cyril Prinsley. For a full list of Global Governance Futures products, including scenario reports, opinion pieces, interviews, and other podcasts, visit ggfutures.net forward slash analysis.